You are listening to Written on Water, a podcast about death, life, and all the layers in between. I believe that by learning how to die well, we learn how to live and love completely. So listen and learn. Hey listeners, I have a few questions for you. Do you have a will or trust set up? Do you have any end-of-life plans? Have you expressed your last wishes to anyone? I know that these are tough questions and no one wants to assume the worst, but it can happen. In fact, it did happen to me. So today we are going to talk with Jennifer Byron about the basics of estate planning and hopefully get you to start thinking about these issues. Welcome, Jennifer. Thank you. I'm really glad to be here. I'm so glad that you're here too. And this is such an important topic. Tell us about your area of expertise. Well, I'm a trust and estates attorney. So I help people draft estate planning like wills and trusts. Um, and I help families after they lose somebody to uh, go ahead and administer the assets uh, according to the documents, or if their loved one hasn't made a plan according to the California law, because our legislature has made a plan for everyone who didn't make their own. Right. And what is that like being involved in such a vulnerable moment in people's lives? Really, it's um, an honor. It is uh, um, difficult at times because people have all sorts of reactions, both to the idea of talking about their own death and um, for people who come in after they've lost someone. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's just such a variety of issues and reactions that um, it is certainly never boring. (laughs) Why do you think people are so hesitant to talk about these issues? Do you think it's just this like emotional disconnect with death or talking about these subjects that they don't want to hear? What do you think from what, from your experience? I think it's some of both of those. Um, For some people, it, seems to be almost a superstitious thing that, Hmm. you know, if I have my affairs in order, then something's going to happen. Um, For a lot of it, the process is um, intensely personal and vulnerable. So to get an estate plan that, that really works for a family, um, my clients need to tell me about the um, sibling who's a drug addict, about the parent who um, is a multimillionaire, but they don't talk to anymore. I have to know about any mental health issues in the family, how their current health is doing, um, what their goals are and how they want to see and leave their legacy. Mm-hmm. And that is incredibly personal, and it's a vulnerable spot to be in. 
Um, so you're getting involved in the nitty gritty of family dynamics, like right in the middle of it, basically. Right. Yes. And when I'm helping spouses, um, you know, we get into issues of, you know, how much do you trust your spouse to not disinherit your kids if you die first? Right. And mostly I get comments along the lines of, I never thought of that. Right. Yeah. Because who wants to really think of these worst case scenarios, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, a, a lot of it is kind of worst case scenario thinking. Um, and some of it just is an invitation to look at the current state of your relationships in your life and, you know, figure out what that means for what you want to do, you know, for the people in your life after your death. Um, and it is easier to, you know, just do other things instead. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, estate planning can be super overwhelming. And, and I'm, honestly, I have a, definitely a personal connection to this issue because um, my parents died in a car accident. And the way their estate was planned out is that it wasn't. <laughs> it was right? <laughs> pretty obvious that um, they'd assumed that my mom would outlive my dad. And so they died suddenly in this car accident. And actually, I was in the car accident. And I was the only survivor. Um, and so what happened is, you know, my brother and I got back to the house after I'm, I'm completely traumatized at this point, realizing mm -hmm. that there's no will, there's nothing in place. And so we spent months going receipt by receipt, um, going through every single paper in the house to see if we could figure this picture out, this financial picture. And let me tell you, it was brutal. It was just right. horrible for, you know, I'm trying, I'm having survivor's guilt and, you know, completely grieving. And my brother has brain cancer, so he's sick. And so the two of us are pretty pathetic and <laughs> trying to <laughs> put together this piece of, of, just what their finances looked like. And it was, it was so brutal when all they had to do was have a simple discussion. Right. Right. Though and, and, and it is, again, it's total worst case scenario planning in that situation, but um, it actually happened is the problem. So um, this is kind of one of my crusades, I guess you could say, because with my brother, the minute he started going downhill, I filled out every single paperwork, you know, got his finances in order everything power of attorney because i knew he might not be able to sign papers pretty soon right or he might not remember his name which did happen you know um so this is you know this is such an important topic to me because it all happened to me <laughs> you know and right. so i think everybody should at least have a conversation or really have a good think about you know what they want to happen and so you know in that kind of line of thinking what documents do you think are essential for people to organize? Like what's the minimum they have to do to get an estate together? You actually touched on one of the very important pieces that is not really an estate planning attorney issue, but just generally having the finances organized mm -hmm. is a huge help for the family. Um, I've had clients come in with uh, literally trash bags that they handed over and said, 
these are all of the documents that were on top of the dining room table. Can you tell me what it is and what to do? Oh my God. Um, <laughs> and, <laughs> wow. And, you know, sort of as you described, the going receipt by receipt, trying to find where are the assets, where are the debts, what's going on just to begin with. Right. Um, and then within an estate plan, um, you, we essentially start with a will, um, and most people have a general idea that that's a, a document that says who you want to have your assets after your death and who you want to be in charge of getting that done. Um, we'll also have a power of attorney for financial management, which names somebody to make decisions for you if you lose capacity. Um, though they can also be done when for people that still have capacity if they just want help. They want someone to be able to go into the bank and sign the cards instead of having to go into the bank themselves. Because I know um, that I learned through my brother there was durable power of attorney and then there's also medical and they were very separate. Right. Yeah. And the medical is in California, typically called now an advanced health care directive, and that yet yeah, names someone to make medical decisions for someone who can't make them on their own and gives them some instructions on um, what's important in the decision making process. Um, for a lot of people, that's kind of the end of life decisions. You know, how much life support do you want and under what conditions? Um, so those are the very important standard documents. Right. Um, in California, a lot of people use uh, trusts as well. And um, that makes administration easier because with a will, the administration is supervised by the court. And with a trust, you only have to go to court if someone is complaining about things. Oh, gotcha. So, so, so exactly what is, can you just essentially lay out the differences between a trust and a will? Is it paperwork? Is it just, what exactly is the difference? Yeah, it's different paperwork. Um, and in short, a, a trust is just an arrangement where you have one person on legal title to assets who is responsible for managing the assets for the beneficiary. Um, and they can be made several different ways. Um, what we do mostly are uh, revocable trusts, which are active during the client's lifetime you sign a trust, you transfer assets into it at that point, and then you as trustee with legal title will manage your own assets. And when you become unable to, the person you named as your successor just comes in and starts managing them for your benefit if you're still alive or for the people you've chosen if it's after your death. Okay. Um, with a will, it doesn't have any legal effect at all during your lifetime. Um, and someone with a will dies, the will then gets lodged with the court and um, 
then there's a whole court process that goes through making sure that all of the assets have been found and all of the debts have been paid and that what's left is distributed to the right people. And, um, you know, having that kind of court supervision can make it more expensive and longer of a process. Right. And with, so with, and with a will, you need an executor, correct? Right. And is that executor, this is what I always get confused about. Um, cannot be the executor be the person who inherits or should it be somebody different? It can be the person that inherits. Um, the only real reason that you would have it be someone different is if the person that you want to inherit really isn't up for the job. Um, and, you know, sometimes the person you want to inherit is your minor child and you can't, you know, give the job to the seven-year-old. Um, mm-hmm. So you give the job to somebody else to yeah, make sense. manage assets until the seven-year-old comes of age. <laughs> Got it. But yeah, if you're leaving most everything to an adult who can can do the job and is local enough to deal with your uh, your items, then there's no reason to have anybody else really involved. Okay, that makes sense. That makes sense. And and actually, us. Um... Our discussion of children, it's a perfect segue to this question I wanted to ask. Um, what issues do parents need to think of in terms of guardianship? And even actually for pets or any of those types of dependents, you know, what, what would you recommend, again, as a minimum? Well, for, um, for children, you definitely want to choose a guardian. Um, there are a couple of things to keep in mind. One is that there are guardians of the person and guardians of the estate, um, and they don't have to be the same person. Uh, so if you have someone that you think is an excellent parent but is bad with money, mm-hmm. um, you can have them do the parenting and have somebody else handle the money. Oh, I mean, is this for the lifetime of the child or, or at least until they're of age or? Um, at a minimum until they're 18, but okay. you, because it's your assets, you can decide how long that goes. Um, it's pretty common for parents to let their children be in charge of their assets somewhere between about 25 years old and 35 years old. Okay. Though. So, we can do a trust for life. The kid never gets legal title. Um, and you know, I did one trust where the parent wanted to enforce retirement planning. So she said, nothing comes out of this trust until my child is 65. And then oh they my can gosh, do whatever they really? want with it. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> and you can do that. <laughs> so they could be destitute for most of their adult life, but at 65, they might inherit. Right. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Interesting approach. Interesting. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then the, the other thing back to younger children with guardianship is that that is also a, a court supervised thing. So parents okay. say who they want to be the guardian, but if the situation comes up, it's the judge that then decides whether basically whether something has changed so that 
the parents shouldn't have the guardian that they chose. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just a level of protection that, um, that helps my clients sometimes to know because, you know, you can choose um, your parent, for example, and know that, you know, if they get sick bef- when your child needs a guardian, the court can step in and say, you know, we know why you were chosen, but due to circumstances, it doesn't work well right now. So we're going to do something different. <laughs> right. And what happens? I'm curious. So if there is no will and there's no guardianship arrangements, what exactly happens from there with children? The um, family will, will still need to get a guardian appointed, um, it, but it's then the family going into the court to say, you know, we need a guardian and I want to be that guardian. And if another family member disagrees, then you can have a fight over, you know, who will be the guardian. Um, and of course, if, if there's nobody that knows to step up or is willing to do that, then it gets out of my area of expertise. And we start talking to attorneys that do foster care and adoption work. Got it. And so, so it's just going to be like an ugly court battle, basically, if things aren't designated. Right. Yes. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, And is there anything people should know about pets? In their wills? We can do a trust for pets now in California. It's okay. been a few years since that's been officially allowed. And um, people are really all over the map in how formal they want to be about it. Um, you know, my essential plan at this point for, for my two dogs is my sister's agreed to take them. Mm -hmm. and um, I know her, and she knows the dogs, and that's good enough for me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, you know, for various reasons, we can get as formal as putting a set amount of money aside, naming a person to take care of the pets with the money available but not given outright to anybody. Um, With that, the... um, Courts can intervene if the trustee is stealing the money, for example, (laughs) and local animal welfare charities have the right to demand to um, see the animal and make sure that it's being appropriately taken care of. Um, For anyone that wants to go that route, it's important to tell at least one of the local charities that that's what you're doing so that they will know to look for the animal. Um, and as far as that goes, it helps if you have the, the charity be the remainder beneficiary for any money that's left after your pet dies because um, the, the law requires that they get more notice that way and it, it just makes it easier for them to get information and to make sure that you know, the animal is being well cared for. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, and these are never things you really think about, right? It's just right. <laughs> kind of hope for the best. <laughs> right. Well, and the other thing to think about is um, sort of the short term thing with 
pets in particular, because they, you know, can't speak for themselves, um, is, you know, what, what will happen with them if you can't come home one night? Right, right. That's Um, a very good point. Yeah. So kind of having some conversations around, um, either friends who are local or neighbors that is essentially, um, you know, please check on them and take care of them if I don't show up. Um, And also for both children and pets, um, a lot of people have someone in mind that's not necessarily right local. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, you can have a friend or officially appoint somebody to deal with the first week or whatever it is until, you know, your person who lives on the other side of the country has a chance to catch a flight and come out and deal with things. Right. That, that totally makes sense. And there's so many contingencies to these things, right? Right. And yeah. And there is a point where the worst case scenario thinking is the job of the estate planning attorney and, mm-hmm. um, you know, I do as much as I can to cover all of those things. And then the clients get to just go live their lives and not worry about everything that might go wrong. <laughs> right. It's my job to worry about that. <laughs> which, which we appreciate greatly. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, just out of curiosity, so we talked about sort of like minimum minimum documents and minimum arrangements made what's the ideal situation in your opinion for most people particularly in california um they will need a trust mm-hmm. um and that really just makes the process a lot easier um ideally going beyond the documents we've already talked about um, I would want to see um, beneficiary designations for like retirement accounts and life insurance. Um, it's surprising how often I have clients tell me that, you know, my children are the beneficiaries on my IRA and then the client dies and it turns out that there is no beneficiary on the broker's records. <laughs> oh boy. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah, so doing that. Um, And the other thing that is generally very helpful for a family is to have some kind of um, pre-need planning for funeral services or, you know, discussions around um, what to do. Because when somebody is in grief, that is an awful time to walk into a funeral parlor and you know get hit with the you know what type of a service do you want what type of a casket do you want is it open is it closed just all of those questions that if someone can get that set up in advance so the family doesn't have to figure that out it's an incredible gift to the family no absolutely i did um my think that was my second episode was with a funeral director friend of mine who kind of went into detail about exactly how much you could plan ahead, you know? Um, Right. And it makes sense. Although I know to most people it would sound morbid, but 
really, you know, don't you want things done your way instead of your family fighting over what you think you might want or what they think you might want? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I have been involved in those sorts of disputes as well, where, you know, one of the children was um, very firmly involved in a religion and the mm. other child was not. And yeah, there was quite a fight about what type of services mom would want. Yeah, I mean, I imagine that family feuds of that sort are common nature to <laughs> estate planning, funeral planning. And even um, the hospice director that I interviewed also said that that comes into play often, that it's, it's sibling disputes that seem to prevent the moving forward of entering into hospice or making medical decisions, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because all of the old issues and resentments can come back up when people are under that kind of stress. Totally. Totally. And, and that's not the time to have these fights. It's all about honoring those who have departed and making sure wishes are carried through and right. um, really celebrating their life and, and the love that they've given. So um, definitely plan ahead. <laughs> I think right. that's the yes. of our story, right? <laughs> Right. Don't leave your family guessing. <laughs> yes. Give them the gift of planning. So, yes. um, and I actually always ask a few questions to my guests. Mm -hmm. And one of them is, what is your vision of the afterlife? Yeah, that one, um, given what I do is something I think about a lot and I don't know as I, have something I'd really call a picture or a vision. Um, I know that everybody leaves, um, it, well, I'll put it this way instead. I think everybody um, who dies has left a mark on the people in their lives. And for afterlife, absolutely, there is the the memories of the people who um, you've touched and the ways that you've touched the world um, for good or bad, but for most people, most of the time for the good. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I fall more in the spiritual, not religious. So, you know, I, it, I don't have in, in my head a particular thing or plan that happens next. Um, and, and I prefer to focus on having everything that I want to do and be, be here in my life and um, not worry so much about what comes next other than because I'm an estate planner, making sure that what comes next is not harder than it has to be for the people I love. <laughs> That makes absolute sense. So focusing on the present. Right. Yeah. And then the other question I always ask is considering, you know, what you do for a living and what you've been through in your life, what is the most important piece of wisdom you've learned to share with our listeners? The most important is, is, challenging because there are so many important things but really I think especially when you look at family dynamics 
um, through all of these sorts of situations. Um, the death of a loved one or the serious illness of a loved one uh, can bring out the best in people and it can bring out the worst in people. And you just don't know in advance which one it's going to be. Um, so for yourself, focus on bringing your best, even if it's hard. And if you've got a sibling or other loved one in your life that has, you know, all of their worst characteristics are coming out, <laughs> do what you can to cut them some slack. Um, not necessarily, you know, put up with bad behavior, but, you know, with a little time and distance, it probably will be good to stop defining them as, you know, the awful person who did this, that, and the other after mom died. Everybody's going through so much emotional, just maelstrom, you know, it's just such a storm that comes in when right. these things happen. and it's hard to even know how to react or what to say or what to do. Um, you right. just know this like life-changing moment has happened and how do you move on from there? And so just try to keep your wits about you, right? Right, yeah. But that goes for people who are doing estate planning as well. Um, okay. I hear a lot from clients, some version of my family's not like that. My kids aren't like that. They all get along. It'll be fine. And um, just about everybody says that. And a whole lot of these things end up in litigation because the kids at that moment don't get along that well. <laughs> or right. they right. are like that because they're at their worst instead of at their best. And so a plan has to include, you know, what, what happens if everybody brings their worst self to this? Oh, absolutely. And, and that's the thing. It's even though parents have a certain perspective of their children, it might not be the actual perspective. <laughs> right. Yes. I oh, mean, I hate I've to say that. denial, but <laughs> we all live in interesting perceptions of ourselves and others, you know? Right. Yes. Yeah. And actually my, you know, my brother and I had a hard time with this because or before each one of his brain surgeries, we'd have to sign like a release, you know, and wishes. And he refused to put wishes down, you know, Interesting. like, yeah, yeah. He, he kind of refused to do an advanced medical directive. And I said, come on, this isn't fair. Like, I don't want to make these decisions for you. And, you know, cause we have different theories. i I personally, if he needed to be on life support for an extended time, I probably would cut it off earlier. And he was kind of like, well, what if I wake up or what if there's a cure? And, you know, I said, what if it's for 20 years? <laughs> you know, like, what's the limit? And so we'd kind of fight about this stuff. Right. And what can you do? Like, I can't force him to sign the document. And I know I'm going to choose the decisions from my own perspective when things happen, if it's left to me, you know? Right. So, but it's so important that you had the discussions, even if he wouldn't sign. Yeah. Because you were learning how he thought about things. So he could be in the decision process, even if it was all going on in your head. No, oh, absolutely. I mean, we, we fight about Terry Schiavo, you know, and right, what the right yeah. decision was. And it's just like, it's, it's, there's such different debates, you know, different sides of this debate. And, 
no one's right or wrong. It's just, you know, it's your own values of what you think life is worth and, and your perception of what living life is about. You know, that's what so much of this comes down to. And I think it also comes down to that when it comes to aging people. Right. As well. You make these really tough decisions and it's just so much better to write it down. <laughs> just make it easy on everybody. Right. It, absolutely. And I'll say also that, you know, there's certain number of people out there who just aren't going to do an estate plan, aren't going to come to an attorney for it. Um, the real minimum documentation that I would want people to have is to get a healthcare directive because that impacts your life as you are living it. Right. And um, so you know, after somebody's death, we can deal with the finances, but, but that one is a real um, personal and important. And there are um, forms that you can get from, Kaiser, from other doctors, the California Medical Association has a form, mm -hmm. um, Legal Aid here in Napa has a form. So, um, you know, that is one that you can get done on your own and everyone should have. And actually, that's another question. Who should have these documents besides like, you know, if you have an estate attorney, obviously that's one, but who should have copies of these documents? That really depends on um, kind of the age of my client. Um, you know, if I have clients that have young children, I'll tell them they probably want to give copies of the documents or at least um, tell people where they are for the guardians. Mm -hmm. um, for, you know, clients kind of more middle-aged, it's... You might not want to have all of your details out to your trustee or executor that you want. Um, you might change your mind later. You don't want them to know about it. So, you know, for them, it's tell them, you know, to go to the binder and the lower left shelf of your bedroom bookcase or wherever it is. That makes sense. Um, so just kind of like let somebody know at least the location of the documents or right. who the attorney is. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Who the attorney is. Um, and then for clients who are slipping into the elderly range or who have some kind of a diagnosis, um, that's the time when you give your documents to your trustee and executor. You go over it to answer any questions that they have. You know, that's more of the time for that then. Uh, though, of course, I've have people that um, will feel more comfortable with the documents in their executor's hands, even if, you know, they're highly unlikely to need it for a few decades. And right. there's not a problem in doing that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's just not as important to get them out that early. <laughs> right. That makes sense. Gosh, there's so, I feel like there's so many things that we could talk about, but I think we have a really good basis on what needs to happen and what people should do on a real minimum level and, and, and ideal as well. But um, I really appreciate you chatting about this and giving us your opinion on what we should be doing. You're very welcome. I um, am one of those 
kind of odd people that enjoy doing and talking about estate planning. So I am always happy to answer questions. <laughs> I appreciate that. And, and where can they find you? I'm at uh, Coombs and Dunlap in Napa. And um, we have a number of wonderful attorneys here doing all sorts of civil, civil law. Um, but I've been here doing really nothing but trust in estates since 2003. Okay. So you know what you're doing. <laughs> I know what I'm doing. We can safely <laughs> say that. Yes. <laughs> well, again, thank you so much. I really, really appreciate it. You've been listening to Written on Water. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Until soon.